Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When it doesn't turn out the way we thought it was, we get disillusioned because, well, Lord, you left me in the fire. We just have to remember, sometimes God leaves you in the fire. But it's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he's not in control. It's just because he's wiser than we are and he's working out a plan and he knows that this is actually the better way to go than what we might think. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Daniel chapter 3. Now here's Pastor Brian. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Remember there is that passage in Isaiah where the Lord spoke to the people and he said, when you go through the fire, you will not be harmed. When you go through the, through the river, it will not overflow you. When you go through the fire, you will not be harmed. And here that promise is literally being fulfilled. And there's a fourth person. Now, Nebuchadnezzar says the, the fourth person looks like a son of the gods. The older, I think it's the King James and New King James for sure, says uh, looks like the son of God, which we automatically connect to Jesus. But the literal is looks like a son of the gods. So, the, you know, Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't know that there was a son of God like we know that. But what he did know by observation is that the, the fourth person in the furnace was a divine being. And now we know with hindsight who that fourth person was. That was the Lord. I will be with you when you pass through the fire. And there he was literally in the fire with them. So Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted. Now, I can imagine that his tone is completely changed from what it was just a little while ago when he was probably, you know, veins bursting in his neck. Who are you? I'm gonna, you know, what God is gonna deliver you? And now I think his tone is more like, Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) Servants of God Most High. (laughs) I mean, remember, this guy is, you know, one of the most powerful, if not the most individually powerful person that ever lived in history. And as we read about him before, he put to death whoever he wanted to put to death. He kept alive whoever he wanted to keep alive. You know, this was not a guy that anybody was going to mess with. And now, once again, he's completely in awe of the God of Israel. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire 
and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into a pile of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Amazing things. Now, a couple of things that I think of when I look at the story. Again, you know, just to kind of reiterate it once again, these are things that happen in the history of the people of God. And in the story here with Daniel, in the first six chapters, when these kinds of things occur, we see God break through in a very powerful way to demonstrate his greatness to demonstrate that he is with his people and to deliver them. We don't always see the same thing in response to this kind of aggression or this kind of persecution that comes to the people of God. And so these things are here to, to inform us that, yes, there are times when God intervenes in obvious ways, in miraculous ways. There are times that he does that. But there are many other stories in scripture that tell us that he doesn't always do that. When you look at uh, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about those who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, stopped the mouths of lions, you know, all, all of these extraordinary kinds of things, stopping the mouth of lions, referring obviously to Daniel, uh, quenched the violence of fire, referencing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so it talks about those, but then it also goes on to talk about those who by faith, um, they were put to death with a sword, sawn in two. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and so forth. And, and so the point is that we know that God can intervene in these kinds of ways anytime he chooses to do. And we should ask him to do it based upon what we know. But we should also know that he doesn't always intervene in these ways. Sometimes he lets that wicked power have its way he lets his people go into the fire and be consumed, so to speak. But he's even using those things for 
his greater purposes. In 1555, in the city of Oxford, England, there were two men, they were bishops, and their names were Latimer and Ridley. And this was during the time of the English Reformation. And, you know, it was back at the time of shortly after Henry VIII. And, you know, the, the kingdom, of course, the whole, all that part of the world was at one time under the Pope. And then Henry VIII sort of wrenched England out from under the power of the Pope and made himself the ruler of the church. And then his, he died and his um, son came to power, but he died very briefly. And then his daughter, Mary, came to power and she was um, a Catholic. And so she then instigated a, a massive persecution against the, the Protestants, those who um, had revolted against the, the Pope. And these two men, Latimer and Ridley, were Bible men. And so they ended up being swept up in this persecution that was inspired by Mary. And they were sentenced to die being burned at the stake in the, in the city of Oxford. And if you go to Oxford today, it's so crazy when you go to Oxford today because, you know, Oxford is Oxford, the, the university city and, you know, just all the other stuff that you have going on in a typically English city. And then you've got this monument right in the center of town. And every tourist that ever goes to Oxford walks right by this monument. But very few people know actually what it, what it is a monument to. It's a monument to these two men. And they were called upon to recant and they were called upon to deny their embracing of a more biblical faith and so forth and they refused to do it and so they were, um, they were put to death there that day. And it, it says this on the, on the monument and this, these are the words that they spoke to one another. Latimer said to Ridley, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. For this day, we will light a torch for the gospel in England that I do not believe will ever be put out. And with those words, they were consumed in the flames. Now, that was 1555. So, you know, that was a long time ago. But those kinds of things still happen today. They're not written down, at least at this point. We might never even know who these people are. But people are giving their life for the gospel. And the Lord is allowing that. And he is working even through that. And so as Latimer could see, we're dying today but we are lighting a flame that'll never be extinguished. So he could look ahead and see that even though God would not deliver them that moment from the flames, that God would use their, their sacrifice, use their martyrdom to perpetuate the gospel. And 
I'm happy to say that the gospel is still alive and well in England today. And God is still working. And when we read these stories, sometimes we, we can be tempted to think that it always turns out this way. And then when it doesn't turn out the way we thought it was, we get disillusioned because, well, Lord, after all, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you got them out of the fire and you left me in the fire. We just have to remember, sometimes God leaves you in the fire. But it's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he's not in control. It's just because he's wiser than we are and he's working out a plan and he knows that this is actually the better way to go than what we might think. Now, let me say this too. I think it's pretty obvious. This is real state-sponsored persecution of those who believe in God. This is like, this is it. We've heard a lot in the last couple of years about Christians being persecuted here in this country. And there's a lot of church leaders that are yelling about the fact that Christians are being persecuted and things like that. And I think if we read our Bibles more closely and if we understood church history a little bit better, we would realize that we are not being persecuted. Doesn't mean we won't be. It just means that at at the present time, we are not being persecuted. And so we need to be really careful when we speak about these kinds of things because there are plenty of people all around the world who are really being persecuted by their government, truly. And when we're still living in relative ease and comfort and especially regarding our faith, um, if we start making a bunch of noise about how persecuted we are, oh, the you know, everybody's against us, the, the state's against us and all of that. It, to the onlookers who are really experiencing the persecution, they're sort of wondering, what are, what are they thinking about over there? So we, we just need to be careful when it comes to that. Now, as, as we see here in this passage, as we've seen many times over, you know, in most of history... All nations go toward abuse of power. All nations go, the the drift is toward that. And so the nation, our nation is drifting toward that. The nation was started because nations that people came from had done that over and over again. They wanted to get away from that. And then you create a system that you think is going to exempt you from that. But the fact of the matter is, because human beings are involved, (laughs) you can't really exempt yourself from it. And so, you know, things just go in that direction. And we pray that they don't go as far as they could go. And we do what we can to try to prevent things from going in that direction. But 
what I'm saying is we don't want to, we, we don't want to overstate the case. And start claiming things that, that aren't actually true. If there is to be a greater um, or a real manifestation of persecution in this country coming from um, the powers that be against the church, we will know it. It will become clear. This was crystal clear. Here's the statue. Bow down and worship this statue. Your God is irrelevant. Now, no one ever said throughout the last two years, no one ever said you can't worship Jesus. You got to worship the state. No one suggested any of those kinds of things. So we need to be wise and not exaggerate the situation and not be like the boy that cried wolf because remember the story, the boy cried wolf, people came out, there was no wolf. Did it again, people came out, there was no wolf. Did it again, people came out, there was no wolf. Finally, there was a wolf and the boy cried and nobody came out <laughs> because and so, we, you know, we, we need to be really careful. That's, that's all I'm saying. We need to be really careful. We need to... Um, and now, I'm, you know, obviously there are, there are people who are in positions of power who would love to make life difficult for people in the church. They hate, they hate the church. They hate God. They hate people who believe in God. And I'm not saying that they don't exist. I'm not saying they don't want to do those things and you know, probably would do those things if they had the opportunity to do them. But that's, we're not there yet. So let's pray that we don't get there or if we're gonna get there, let's pray, pray that we're, we're ready when we do. That God will give us, we will be ready. He'll give us the grace that he gave to these men here. Now, a big question that has been asked is, where was Daniel? <laughs> now, some people have suggested that, well, you know, he probably bowed down. No, not even, not a chance. Now, remember, Daniel was like, he was kind of like second to the king. And remember, he was also somebody that the king, you know, feared him to some degree, I would think. And when we come to the next chapter, we're going to see a little bit more about the intimacy between Daniel and the king. But we don't know where he was, but we know that he wasn't bowing down to the image. Some people have suggested he was, you know, had off into some other part of the empire. Who knows where he was? Now, some people see a picture here of the future and the, the tribulation period. And they see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as a, a picture of Israel 
who are preserved during, remember in Revelation chapter seven, there's the 144,000 that are sealed by God and they are protected during the tribulation period. So some people see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a picture of Israel in the future in the tribulation. And Daniel is a picture of the church who is not there, who has been taken. Now, I mean, that's reading something into the text that isn't in the text. But it's not without a possibility. It's not without any kind of merit whatsoever. It could be that, you know, God has woven these these realities into these historical accounts. It could be the case. In the end, we, we just don't know. But I think the biggest thing that we need to take away from this is that as we stand up for the Lord, as we stand for the Lord, as we refuse to, to compromise, even under pressure, that God will be with us. And these guys, they did really have the right perspective. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to think twice about this. Our God is able to deliver us. We know that. But even if he doesn't, even if he chooses something else, we're never going to bow down and worship. And I think that that's, that's the way we think about these things. As these things might unfold before us, we can have confidence. Our God is able to deliver us. He can do it. We know he can do it. But even if he doesn't do it, we're not going to bow. Because even if he doesn't deliver us, he's going to be with us. He'll be with us in the fire. When we pass through the water, he'll be with us. And we have the promise that he will see us safely to the other side. And so these are wonderful stories, true stories, about the way God has worked in the lives of his people in history. And never forget that the activity of God in the past is a prophecy of the future. In other words, what, what we look back on, God having done, we can look forward with expectation that God will do it again in whatever way, shape, or form it takes, but he will do it again. The same God who is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire is the God who's with us today. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Hi, Pastor Brian here, and it is almost Christmas. And of course, this is a time of year when everybody is aware of this holiday. They're hearing Christmas music as they're out shopping. And yet not everyone knows what Christmas is truly all about. So 
we have a great offer for you for this month. It's a small book, and it's entitled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? It's written by Rebecca McLaughlin, who is an excellent writer and has so many good things to say here. Really a great little book to give to a friend, a neighbor, a family member at this time of the year. So I would encourage you to pick up your copy of Is Christmas Unbelievable by Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book, It's Christmas Unbelievable, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the world's most famous story by Rebecca McLaughlin to help equip you to defend the faith. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.